This is 169 Projects. I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. This episode, we're speaking with Dave Etherington, who is CSO of Intersection, one of the companies responsible for Link NYC. In 2014, New York City set out to overhaul their payphone infrastructure. The result is Link NYC, which provides anyone in New York City with free phone calls to anywhere in the U.S., free Wi-Fi, local information, and some other things that Dave and I discuss. It's all supported by advertising, but as you'll hear, that can be okay. This is a really big project with over $200 million invested in new fiber optic cable to support the more than 7,500 Link kiosks that will be installed over the next eight years. In fact, Dave tells me that this is the largest deployment of digital displays in the world. We talked about this Apex award-winning installation via Skype. Thanks for joining us, Dave. I was wondering if you could uh, maybe explain what we're talking about today. Sure, we're talking about my company, Intersection, and the project and product we're most famous for, which is Link NYC, which is the um, super ambitious project to replace all of the payphones in New York, of which there are something like 8,000, with um, new structures we called Links. And uh, Links are about nine and a half feet tall. Um, they provide incredibly fast, uh, high speed Wi Fi um, for everybody in the city. Um, phone calls, wayfinding, city services, um, all of these things are made free uh, through advertising, which um, occurs on the sides of the links. And it's really one of the first scalable smart city projects or connected city projects on the planet. What does it do? Like, it has all of these things, but if you stand in front of it, what do you, what do you, how do you interact with it? What do you do with it? So the first thing you do when you when you stand in front of it, um, and you'll see. Um, you'll see that it offers free Wi-Fi uh, either on the, the large screens that we have, and each link has two 55-inch displays. Also, each link has a tablet, um, and on the tablet we have this um, loop of services that rotate. So between the large screens and the tablet, you'll see that um, free Wi-Fi is offered. And so if you take your mobile device out and um, look at the Wi-Fi SSIDs, you'll see the Link NYC free Wi-Fi um, SSID. And so you click on that and follow the instructions uh, on the screen. It's a very short process. And then um, suddenly you're on the Wi-Fi. And the great thing is you stay on the Wi-Fi. Um, you don't need to re-authenticate. And because we have, or beginning to have so many link structures now, there are over 600 um, working links. I think we've got over 800 actually in the ground as of today. Um, you can have a pretty contiguous Wi-Fi signal um, as you walk up an avenue like Third Avenue. Um, and so, you know, actually without doing any marketing whatsoever, we've got over 1.3 million registered users. Um, that's a combination of word of mouth and um, a, a good deal of really incredibly positive press that we've had. So it's, it's, um, it's intuitive to use. And once you're on, 
it's just in, an incredibly fast. It's the fastest Wi-Fi that I think the vast majority of people ever come across. In actual fact, it's faster than our devices will even take. Um, it's the first time really that the device has been the bottleneck um, as far as speed's concerned for a long time. And you can make phone calls using it as well? Yeah, so on the tablet, um, there are a number of services that you can use, um, and it's an Android-like tablet. So there are free phone calls um, to the continental United States. And so the user experience there is you walk up to the tablet, um, and then there's a, a number of apps at the bottom of the screen, one of which is free phone calls. Tap that, and um, the keypad uh, appears on the screen. You dial in your number, and you're good to go. You can either plug in your... Um, earphones if you want some privacy or there's a really incredible um, microphone uh, as well so you can hear ab above all the, 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 the noise of the traffic and the, the noise of New York or the phone calls. And is the, the idea that there will be no more pay phones in New York City and they will all be replaced with the link? Yeah, I mean, they've become, um, from a utility perspective, anachronistic. There will be three remaining old school um uh, pay phones that you actually walk into, you know, the old Superman style ones. And actually there was a great um, feature on these and CBS Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about these three remaining ones and talked about Link um, as the next evolution of pay phones. But they'll be the only three that remain. Um, and, you know, I, I think the Link NYC project really recognizes a number of different things. Number one, that most people have mobile devices, but also many people have, you know, crushing data um fees and data services that we can be very helpful with. That's not just New Yorkers. Um, that's, you know, the 60 odd million people that visit the city as well. Um, and so, you know, it, we see Link NYC as the next evolution of the payphone. And we're not just doing this project in New York. We're looking to open up new markets. And at the end of last year, actually, we announced our deal with um, British Telecom in the UK um, and, a, and an out-of-home media company called PrimeSight to launch Link in the UK starting in London. So where did the idea come from originally? Was it from the city putting it out to tender? How did things come together? Actually, way back before the de Blasio administration came in, the Bloomberg administration issued this um, cool little competition called the Future of the Payphone. And um, Titan, the, the municipal media company that was, and Control Group, the technology and innovation company who'd been focusing on fusing digital and physical experiences. Um, we've been working together for a little while. Um, we both had a shared passion for cities um, and for user experience and for really pushing the boundaries um, of technology in cities. And we put together this, this little video in response to um, the prize and we were shortlisted, and then we went. Um, we went and kind of did this this Dragon's Den pitch. Oh, it's not called Dragon's Den in America, is it? Shark Tank, a kind of Shark Tank pitch with other technologists and people from the technology community, and we won one of the awards there. So that was really the start of it, and it was great to to kind of reimagine this infrastructure and ask ourselves what would be possible if we were given carte blanche. What could we do with this? Um, and then shortly thereafter, uh, the de Blasio administration came in and really were um, incredibly visionary and brave in putting out this uh, RFP that really invited people to 
to do just that, to to think without boundaries about what would be possible. Um, and then and then really kind of honed in on on, you know, the design, the amount of sidewalk space the design would take and the services that would be offered. So it was an evolving thing um, that involved both the Bloomberg, then the de Blasio administrations. So there are other companies involved in, in pulling this whole thing together. What is what's your company's role in this? Yeah, there's a there's a joint venture that we created for Link NYC um, that involves us intersection, um, and so we handle the really the um, the media sales, the operations, and the technology side, um, Wi-Fi, etc., the user experience, um, and Civic Smartscapes who fabricate the link units, and Qualcomm, the technology company. And that that um, joint venture is called City Bridge. And so you were involved in this from day one. You had input on, into what was being put together from the start. I did, yeah. Um, I was one of you know uh, a handful of people. Really, we were led by uh, Colin O'Donnell, who's the chief innovation officer at Intersection, um, and was one of the partners at Control Group. But we were led by Colin. But yeah, one of a handful of people locked in a room for a couple of months working on this. Um, and it's really wonderful the moment you see one, having you know having worked on it on paper and written about it and thought about um, the various uses and manifestations of it, and then to actually see one in the street, it was very emotional. Um, and then to to see people using them is great. My little nephew who lives in the Upper West Side often calls me from one um, because he's excited that I had a I had a hand in it. So. So that's cool. And it's also great as Intersection grows. Um, and we're really in growth mode at the moment. We moved to uh, Hudson Yards at the end of last year. Um, and it's phenomenal to see new people come in and be inspired by the project and for themselves think about possibilities that, that actually we never thought about. And um, it's really been an incredibly fulfilling, fun and important project, I think, for everyone involved in it. Were there things that you envisioned early on that you wanted to put into it that you weren't able to put into it? Well, you know, when we when we thought about Link, we always thought that it would be an evolving um, an evolving product that would respond to the to the needs and use cases that emerged over time. Um, and I think that continues to be true. And, you know, one of one of our early thoughts about Link, um, thinking about the tablet, would be that people one day would be able to vote using these things. Um, perhaps to begin with on smaller issues um, and eventually maybe, you know, for the for the presidential vote. So who knows? Um, in a handful of years, maybe we'll start to see that kind of thing happen. What kind of obstructions did you face? Uh, I'm thinking out of the gate, I'm just thinking about things like regulations and that, but what kind of roadblocks ended up appearing either that you, you were expecting and dealt with from the start or unexpected? Well, I mean, it's a, it's an incredible. I said at the beginning, it's an incredibly ambitious project, and um, you know, we're pulling hundreds of miles of fiber through the streets of New York, and we often talk about how we're overlaying twenty um, first century technology onto twentieth century infrastructure, and that's not easy. Um, and so, you know, we've had snowstorms to deal with. We've had uh, a Verizon strike, and whilst we don't work with Verizon on the project, they actually um, control the manhole. Cover. So when they went on strike, we couldn't actually get in um, and pull the fiber. 
And so, you know, we've we've had challenges and we've learned a ton. We really have. And, um, you know, we just keep on moving forwards. What have, what have been some of the big learnings? You know, I think I think the biggest learning is that that projects like this do end up taking a little bit longer than you think they're going to take. And that uh, issues will emerge that you just didn't think about or you, or you thought about in a different way. And this would be true of any large infrastructural project. Um, so, you know, um, I guess that's the, that's the main learning. I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane. Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at mahlerdso.com. We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs, we don't sell screens, we don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Mallard Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs, from small to large networks, with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital signage networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallardso.com. A lot of the other projects we've discussed on the podcast have been on private property involving uh, advertisers or somebody trying to communicate their brand message. This is public, which means that people get to say what they think about it. How How is that different than doing an installation? I mean, aside from the obvious thing that the public have a comment, but how's that impacted the project? Well, it's been, you know, it's really required that we work very closely with um, the city, the de Blasio administration, and they've been, as I said at the start, um, a great partner to work with. Um, and I suppose the, the big difference is, you know, we, we had to really think right at the very inception of the project when we thought about the design, we had to think something, we had to create something that would be, would feel that it was part of the city. And that, uh, on the one hand, that's an aesthetic thing, that it should feel an, a natural extension of the city and something that wouldn't be easily outdated, something that could withstand everything that the, the you know, that the city could throw at it. Um, whether that would be adverse weather conditions or, or otherwise, and something that people themselves would respond to in a positive way and would begin to think about as, you know, part of the fabric of their daily lives. And, you know, it's really that bit that drove the project, that 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 insight, because when you dis- when you arrive upon that insight, then suddenly decisions become clearer. Suddenly it, it makes absolute sense that, the Wi-Fi would be the fastest possible Wi-Fi there would be and that there would be no advertising on the Wi-Fi. We wouldn't ask you to watch a 30-second video before we gave you the Wi-Fi because that would put people off. And so suddenly these decisions started to become much, much easier when you put the really the people of New York. And, and by the way, I know, as we said at the start, my whilst I'm not from New York, I've lived here for 10 years and everyone on the project really would characterize themselves as New Yorkers. We either bringing our kids up here or we live and work here. I'm about to bring my kid up here. And so we care passionately about this city. And it's really that passion for the city um, and ambition for the city that drove the project. And I think 
I think you wouldn't necessarily get that if you were doing an infrastructure project on private property. So if I do a search for uh, Link NYC and the word porn, up comes the idea that the Wi-Fi has been turned off on these, but that's not the case at all. Do you want to explain what happened there? Sure. Um, in you know, in a handful of locations, when we first deployed Link, um, the, there's a homeless issue in those locations, and what happened was, in a and again in a handful, um, people were monopolizing the tablet experience, uh, mainly just watching YouTube. You know, hundreds of episodes of Friends or whatever. But the, unfortunately, other people couldn't then use the the tablet. Um, that was the really the the issue. Um, unfortunately, it became a good story that uh, people were actually looking at um, less desirable content uh, on the tablets. Uh, we'd actually thought about that to begin with and, and had various um, protections in place so that people couldn't look at adult material on uh, on the linked tablets. However, we, you know, it's difficult to get in the way of a good story and, um, and that story did indeed emerge. Um, but the truth is it was really more, it was really all about people monopolizing that tablet experience. So after an awful lot of careful thought and consideration, we switched the, um, the, the web browser on the tablet off. It didn't affect the Wi-Fi whatsoever. Um, which is how the vast majority of people get connected using Link. Um, but an interesting thing happened when we did switch the web browser off on the tablets. Uh, more people started using the tablets. Um, and so that issue of, of, you know, those handful being monopolized went away. And, you know, suddenly people um, were using him in the way that we thought that they would do, which I guess is in um, much faster you know, information-finding ways. And so as of today, the tablet enables people to make free phone calls, access city services. Actually, for the elections, we um, were encouraging people to register for vote using um, uh, using the tablet, and a, and a ton of people did before the holidays. Uh, kids could call Santa, which was a fun, festive uh, thing that we did. Um, and we have wayfinding as well. And right now, there's something like 50,000 tablet interactions a week and growing. The more links that we have, the more interactions that we get. And so we are constantly iterating, figuring out what people use them for, what people want to use them for. Um, and we will continue to offer um, new services or, or variations on the services that we have today. And just to be clear, uh, people are still free to use their device to go to the websites they wish to go to using that Wi-Fi. Absolutely. That was never affected um, at any stage. So this, the entire thing is paid for by advertisers, is that correct? It is. We've, we've really taken our cue from the internet. You know, if you, if you look at the last 10, 15 years of innovation online, it's all it, or innovation and advertising, it's all happened online. Um, and, you know, change the way that we see the world, stay in touch with friends, tell people we're safe, figure out which restaurants to um, to eat in. And all of that was made possible and free by brands and, uh, and uh, advertisers. And, you know, there is without question a momentum towards the next 
decade of innovation in advertise in advertising happening in physical places cities in particular where we take many of the tools and techniques we learned online and um, transpose them to those cities um, and I think you've you know you've only got to look at something like municipal bike share programs around the world which wouldn't be possible without brands and advertisers and link is a natural extension of that um, and you know thinking about the way that brands can help uh, city experiences move cities forward I think is an incredibly exciting moment in time for um, our advertising partners and we're beginning to see a really a new type of advertising that, that's not been seen in um, in physical places before or out of home before um, and it really feels like it's most analogous to native advertising where you know we're Link itself is, you know, understands its exact location, its moment in time, is able to ingest all kinds of data from things like weather, um, um, events, etc. And once you understand that context, then you're able to think about advertising and content in a new way on the side of the screens. And I think advertisers are, uh, are starting to run campaigns on Link that that kind of cross this boundary into real engagement and utility. Um, a couple of examples, you know, in fact, one of the first campaigns that we ran on Link was for Cause Light, where the the, the idea was that um, nothing, nothing really sums up a city or, or a part of a city better than tuning into the music that people were listening to at that moment in time in that place. And we worked with Shazam and Cause Light to create uh, playlist and the playlist was um, on the large 55 inch displays and updated in real time and used the Shazam data to tell us what people were listening to um, at that moment in time in that location and it was fascinating just listening to the different music people were listening to in different parts of town um, they, you know as we were saying before if they, if the link had been outside my apartment it would have been full of Bell and Sebastian and the Smiths um, but an interesting thing happened partway through the campaign, uh, David Bowie died and that moment, suddenly the playlists all turned into Bowie were mirroring back this behavior, this emotion of the people around it. And I think everyone at intersection felt this important line had been crossed where suddenly we saw that this piece of infrastructure was part of this responsive city experience that it was helping to identify communities. It was helping other people plug into what these communities were thinking about. And it started, we started to see the opportunity for Link to become an emotional extension of people, a real part of the city experience. And, you know, we've been inspired by that since and have run some campaigns, some similar campaigns. And, a, and, a, and you know, and this notion of storytelling in a city where you could be walking through a city and let's say you're really into literature and you're walking through the East Village and you pass a link and you look up and you see that Sylvia Plath wrote the bell jar in that apartment building, for example. That hidden context of a city um, and that we can suddenly surface. It's very more difficult to on a mobile device because we're really not 
looking at our mobile devices continually as we as we walk but we are looking in front of us and you know as link already is the largest deployment of digital displays in any city in the world and we've only just got started um and so this opportunity to tell stories to create moments of serendipity um and to bring brands along for brands to facilitate that i think is incredibly exciting and as i said it feels like an extension of native thinking about the city as the stream your daily commute as the um context through which we can bring content that makes sense that helps you i think this is a really important moment for physical media and the and the hope is that you don't get overrun by the need uh, of advertisers to simply sell things that there's an understanding that y- you can benefit viewers by doing content other than just selling yeah i mean i think you know it's no coincidence that native advertising i forget the number but it's something ridiculous you know by 2022 is going to account for something like 70% of all display advertising and i think that's because advertising that can understand the context the audience um and do something uh that is an extension to that and provides engagement and enjoyment saves you money saves you time i think you know that's like clearly works and and um not to say that we won't have advertising that um just sells things but maybe that just sells thing itself starts to become more um efficient and and targeted because again because we understand the context the location the time rather than just saying that this item can be sold at this price we could tell you um you know the the closest place to buy it um if we know that an item sells when certain weather condition or temperature conditions are met more than others then once those conditions are met we could then show the advertising so i don't think we're ever going to you know have a, have a um a network that that is kind of absent of people selling things but i think as we are able to become more sophisticated and know more about um our network then we work very closely with our advertisers um our advertising partners to bring them into that and so their advertising i think becomes more efficient and targeted And I was going to ask you that. So you do work with the advertisers to help them understand that this is, uh, you know, other not just a screen on the street. Absolutely. And and you know, it's been a it's really been uh a wonderful um experience going into, you know, our existing um partners or people that had never considered the space before, of which there are many. Um and show them this this new way of reaching people on mass um you, you know as i as i mentioned earlier we are beginning to take those things that we learned online and use them in physical spaces um and repeat them in physical spaces and i you know with so much proximity to bricks and mortar retail um i think the medium is just is is really ripe for a a a new wave uh, uh you know and it's been said before but it does feel like a the start of something incredibly exciting and incredibly uh industry defining and has any of your future planning looked at at these becoming almost uh like billboards for 
uh, augmented reality or mixed reality moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've done a, a ton of experimentation over the years with, particularly with augmented reality more than anything else, actually. I think our first augmented reality program was, oh, it's got to be over five years ago. Um, and so, yes, I mean, you know, Intersection is a design, media and technology company. We have um, in-house an incredibly talented uh, group of people who are fixated on new technologies and using new technologies in innovative ways. And for sure, mixed reality and augmented reality um, is, you know, is one thing that we are focused on, um, as well as things like, you know, conversational commerce, the future of retail, all of these important um, trends and topics. Uh, and so, so yeah, we, you know, we are continually iterating and experimenting and, you know, you, you'll see if you, if you keep an eye on the Link NYC project and in fact the Link project at large in, in the UK as well, um, you, you'll see that we will continue to push the boundaries and experiment in thoughtful ways with, uh, new technologies like that. Um, it could be in an advertising context. It might be in a, uh, a kind of, more user centric, um, context, but you will see that type of experimentation from us, um, happen, you know, in, in, uh, we'll, we'll iterate very quickly on the, on those types of things. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today, Dave. It was my pleasure. Thank you for, um, thank you for the, the opportunity to catch up and talk about all of our shared interests in music. It was great to talk to you. That's all for this episode of 69 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 69 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 169, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group, the massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at mahlerdso.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.